As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review! Manchester City's trip to Chelsea was anything but a bore in a game where both teams managed to score four. Chelsea came back twice to ensure their survival and show City why you shouldn't sell players to a rival. Elsewhere, Angeball was dealt a lupine blow, Bournemouth stunted Newcastle's flow, Lazio and Roma couldn't be separated, Harry Kane showed why he's still highly rated, Girona continued their brilliant season and into Miami and NYCFC played each other for no good reason, and Krieger and Rapino took one final flight in an NWSL final won by the home of the Dark Knight. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me today, a man who built an entire deck in his yard over the past week and continues to dominate in DIY and home crafts, Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello, I did. Uh, now I'm also dominating in uh, everything hurting all the time everywhere. It turns out when you do like manual labor for that not a week Oscar? straight, it doesn't work <laughs> out so well. Yeah, I think it did. Uh. I think it did. Oh, I see. I'm, and now I'm picturing the graph of you, uh, you something around and found out, Taylor. To, uh, <laughs> yes, work. I found out that I'm pushing 40 and uh, the body doesn't <laughs> recover quite so easily while adding yeah. soccer games in as well. That was a fun little combination of doing like 12 hours of manual labor and then trying to play soccer on top and the next morning nothing wanted to move, nothing wanted to be awake. It was it was interesting times, but I'm happy to be here with you gentlemen talking about soccer where I am not uh, physically infirmed as much. Very good. You are you are a champion of masonry by the way. Um what about what is your XM by the way? What's your expected masonry? Um, is it higher than anyone else on the on the TSS gang? I expect it is, right? Uh, I, I feel like I feel like Graham could do some masonry. That would be my no. guess. Of, of the people, <laughs> have you met the three of us, Taylor? Also, right. masonry in Scotland means something entirely different. I'm not sure I want to be uh, associating with the masons uh, too closely. That that can start rumors. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, well, Taylor, excellent uh, deck building. Congratulations you. to you, sir. Joining Thank us, you. you just heard his voice, Graham Rutherford. Do you have big deck energy? 
<laughs> well, there's no deck in uh, my garden, so we'll say no. No, I don't have big deck energy in more than one way. Um, Ryan, how are you this fine afternoon moving us on swiftly from that reference <laughs> and that discussion point? It's great. Yeah, weather's very nice. Thank you very much, Greg. Joe Lowry also <laughs> joining us. Hello, Joe. Hey, Ryan. This has been quite the ride so far. Taylor, yeah, <laughs> I, if you thought the three of us had any sort of handy skills, I'm going to guess that Ryan is second on that list and that Graham is third and I'm fourth. I feel like Ryan does have a little bit of that in his bag. I am definitely last on that list, however, and maybe that's going to change someday. Probably, probably not. Probably not. Right. If change. we were, if we're taking bets, though, Ryan, I feel like is the most likely to pull off a Tom Sawyer, though, of like starting the yes, project, being like, hey, come over, yes. help me build a deck in my backyard. And then Ryan, Yo, this, this at white fence would be super sick yeah. if you painted this white yeah. fence. That would be I super tight. Half a fence on Saturday. Thank you for asking, Joe. <laughs> yes, uh, I actually, real, real talk, I hang, I hung two pictures up this weekend. Uh, oh. You know, it was pretty. I, I, I how are you feeling, Ryan? That's a lot of work. I mean, I'm exhausted. How physically taxed are you? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picturing the scene from Always Sunny when Mac was trying to find a stud, and you just see hammer holes all over the wall, <laughs> like as Ryan hangs two pictures with a bunch of holes around. Is, yeah, is the wall still standing? <laughs> uh, it is. It is. And also, Taylor, I do have a stud finder. Keeps pointing at this guy. No, no. no. Patreon.com/slash/TotalSoccerShow if you want our bonus <laughs> materials. If you'd like to support the show, once again, Patreon.com/slash/TotalSoccerShow. Uh, hopefully, Taylor will put up some more deck content on there. I'd look forward to seeing that very much. And that- that is one way to draw people to the Patreon videos. I said of, deck. Of I said deck, decks. Graham. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. All right, why don't we start off, ladies and gents, with the NWSL Championship game. Gotham with a two-on win over OL Reign. As we mentioned, Ali Krieger and Megan Rapino uh, going out for one last ride, like Patrick Swayze's character in Point Break. Just one last wave, just catching one last one. Very nice. Reference that Joe got there. Uh, Craig Rain being a champion, of course. Rapino uh, sadly ending her career uh, in the game just three minutes in with an Achilles injury, an apparent Achilles injury in this one. Joe, we had a wild ending to this game as well with Gotham's keeper yeah. getting yeah. a red card for a pretty blatant handball outside the box and some substitute windows and some craziness, but they, they hung on for the win, did Gotham. Yeah, and I think Gotham were the better team in this game that was played in San Diego on Saturday night. They completed a worst-to-trophy turnaround in the span of one year. They finished at the bottom of the table last year, did not make the playoffs. They won the, you know, whatever the NWSL equivalent of the wooden spoon is. That was a, a really difficult year for them. Gotham have been investing, though. They have been turning this club around. They rebranded a number of years ago. They've actually put in the work to be a club that should be taken seriously inside of the NWSL, and that paid off. They were solid in the regular season. They make the playoffs in a parity-filled year, even more so than most in the NWSL, and they march through all of their playoff opponents to get the win. Like I said, I thought they were the better team in this game. Midge Purse was dominant on the right wing for Juan Carlos Amaros. That assist that she has on the Lynn Williams goal that comes in the 24th minute, it's a great goal from Lynn Williams. Don't get me wrong. It is a true forwards goal of finding the space, arriving late, timing the movement so well from Lynn Williams. But Midge Purse does all the hard work on that goal, right? She's on on the right wing, gets on the ball, beats not one, not two, but three defenders. It's horrific defending from O.L. Reign, but an incredible movement from Mitch Purse. And all of a sudden, Gotham are up 1-0. Now, Rose Lavelle does very, very well to sneak in behind Gotham's high line for the second goal in this game. But Gotham really do come back strong. It's another corner kick. It's a Purse corner kick as well. So that's the second assist for her on the evening that finds Esther Gonzalez, a midseason, stri- uh, mid-season striker signing for this Gotham team after winning the World Cup for Spain. This is an incredible story for Gotham. Not so much for Megan Rapinoe, not how she wanted her career to end dealing with that Achilles injury so early early in this game. That is a a really difficult moment. Uh, It seems like 
She handled it about as well as you could. But congratulations to Gotham, who, who really do deserve this trophy. Yeah, yeah. Joe, just going you- back to the sorry, Taylor. Just very quickly in the midge purse dribble and 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 assist, which was probably the best piece of skill anywhere of the weekend. But and maybe this is me just I being agree. a little I bit joyless. I did hang joyless. up two photo frames. Bear in mind, <laughs> of course. Apart apart from that, right? Of course. How, how could I forget? But um, besides that, the skill is incredible. The dribble's incredible. Down the right side, she beats like three players before driving into the box. But the thing that I love so much about that assist is actually the pass because Esther Gonzalez is right in the kind of six yard box. I think a lesser player would try and play the ball into her and the goalkeeper or defender would be more likely to to, to make the clearance. But she just waits that little second. Um, I think in Argentinian football, they call it the la pausa, like the pause. Yeah. And she waits for Lynn Williams to make that run. Nobody's tracking that run and it's an, a simple finish for Lynn Williams. She takes it well, as you said, Joe. But yeah, I just loved everything about that assist. And I thought, uh, Joe, you said some horrific defending for that first goal. And it truly was. A lot of diving in, a lot of sort of panicky defending. I also thought Rose Lavelle's defending for the, uh, for the winning goal yep. was really poor. She never, like, stays with Esther at all. She never really, like, puts her off her game. She never makes her have to adjust what she's doing. It's basically just sort of passive, I'm standing around you. Is that going to be enough defending? So... Roosevelt, not very good on the defensive side, uh, but then had an absolutely electric attacking game, and we saw so much of what makes her such a special player. So maybe as long as the U.S. doesn't ever ask her uh, to do any sort of uh, set-piece defending, uh, we should be fine. But I thought that was maybe one of the differences, was just a little bit of the slack moments, a little bit of panicky moments on the defensive side can make a difference, especially in a championship game. If it helps with the Megan Rapinoe injury, I believe I saw a video of her out at the club with Gotham players and some Rain players uh, celebrating that night. She was very much in a boot. Uh, so she seemed to handle it pretty well. I, I think with the career she's had, maybe maybe the only way she was going to go out was with a ridiculously severe injury. So maybe yeah. it all works out in the end, as savage and strange as that might be. How does that rehab go, right? Because as a professional, I'd imagine rehab is geared towards getting you back on the pitch. Like, she just like, ah, don't need that Achilles. Like, it'll, it'll heal in some way. Like, just you, not go through the rehab at all. You can do that with certain, like, I, I had a doctor who had a torn ACL, and he was basically like, I just run, I jog straight. <laughs> like, I know that I can't cut. I just haven't had time because he's so busy. He was like, I haven't had time to do the full surgery. So I think you can live with certain injuries. As I understand it, when you tear your Achilles... It looks like a rubber band has broken and rolled mm. up the back of your leg. Yep. I doubt she's kind of just rolling with that one, but I'm going to guess <laughs> it is a a slightly less intensive process when you are recovering to like hang out at home and be a spokesperson for stuff versus when you're trying to make a World Cup squad. So I'm guessing there will be some rehab, maybe not the full intensity rehab. Yeah, you, you're Taylor describing a snapped Achilles, which is when it does what you describe and it is quite... Uh, I think actually I'm told it's not that painful because of the shock of seeing that happening but um, the tears can happen quite a lot and I actually had a for a period of about four or five months I had a boot on for an Achilles injury Uh, just keeping the keeping your foot in the same position basically is what it's about Um, we're we're about to go into maybe not waters where we don't have a ton of knowledge I think I'm correct in saying that a pull is a tear right it's just a pull is a minor tear versus a fully torn hamstring is a completely different animal is that right because I think that's what a pull is and we just kind of sounds like there's a doctor that you know that you should ask that question to Taylor (laughs) (laughs) thank you Joe uh, Achilles go hurty that's what we uh, can ascertain from this situation but Joe um, quite an entertaining find a lot of chaos in this game as well right so um, uh, good good viewing all round right 
it was it was a good game, and the ending of this game in particular was wild. So it's Mandy Hot, Gotham's goalkeeper, came into the team midway through the season after Abby Smith started dealing with with injuries, and Smith had been excellent for Gotham in goal. She had been one of the biggest reasons why this team was in playoff contention and, and it never really dipped back to their previous lows from last year. Mandy Hot comes in, and she's been pretty good as well, right? Even though maybe not quite as strong as Smith had been previously, Hot comes in and she's been playing. She's been the starting goalkeeper. And then this ridiculous chaos stream of events happens towards the end of the game. O.O. Rain end up kind of deflecting slash booting the ball forward. And they send a player streaking in behind. And Hot comes out. And she's just trying to catch the ball at the edge of her box. I don't think there's anything really nefarious happening here. Maybe others disagree. She's trying to catch the ball at the edge of her box and realizes that things are happening too fast and too far away from her goal to actually be in control of proceedings. And she ends up reaching forward with both hands, extending your arms out in front of you and touching the ball, trying to catch it. But her hands are extended over the plane that shows where the edge of the box is. It ends up being a, a red card for a clear denial of a goal scoring opportunity. It was the right call, even in yeah, sort of totally. a weird, almost 50, 50, it was very, very clear. And, and then Gotham, because they're out of uh, subbing opportunities, Go and have to put Neely Martin, their number six, in goal to end this game. All rain, have a free kick. Roosevelt sends it right into the wall, and the danger kind of dissipates from there. But that could have gone so, so wrong for Gotham, given that, you know, a, a goal on that free kick or sort of a, a, a following action would have sent this game into extra time. And then all of a sudden, Gotham are playing 30 minutes and maybe a shootout without an actual goalkeeper. That would have been it for them. But they stand strong and, and get the result. See, percentage-wise, I kind of think it was totally worth it. And I, I, I think yep. there's obviously like split-second decisions yep. and all that. But I think she is obviously trying her best to make contact with her hands inside the box. But it's thinking, there's like a minute left on the clock. I'm just going to get rid of this any way that I can. And then there's a free kick on the edge of the box. We all know free, kick, free kicks that close to goal are really, really difficult to score. And I think it's Rose Lavelle that, that sticks it into yep. the, the top of the wall. Um, so I think fair play like that was that was entirely worth it it was it was better for Gotham to take the free kick in that situation than allow the situation to play out with the with the well range striker going through if she backs off that's a goal there's no doubt in my mind because then she's she's already at the top of her box and I think like taking a step back to not use her hands allows the attacker to, to gain control go easily around and score that goal so I think pushing it away getting the red card all make sense in the moment. It's also a very strange situation where a free kick and a red card don't feel like enough because it so would have been a goal. And I and I think you could see that in some of the rain players after the decision is made that like it, it is a correctly given red card. It is a free kick from the exact spot where the uh, handball occurs. It just also feels like given that it would have so clearly been a goal had she have not done that. Like just getting a free kick yeah. there in that moment doesn't quite feel like enough, uh, even if it if it if it totally was. I also really enjoyed Martin having clearly not played a ton of goalkeeper. Not sure why they threw her in there, but I loved. I think it was uh, Nyswanger was the one who was standing next to her, helping her set the wall because she clearly had no idea how to set a wall in goal. Uh, that was that was some pretty creative problem solving there from Gotham, uh, and a, a deserved win on top. Indeed, it was uh, not quite as nefarious as the Suarez kind of World Cup handball, was it? I think I, I buy into no, no. things were just happening too quickly. It was a, it was, a, it wasn't. No, a- no, I would agree with that. But very similar energy in how it was sort of like ah, like it was just like it was an in- instinct combined with a I've got to make a decision here sort of mm. moment that is all like based around like craftiness and knowing what you have to do in that moment to try to preserve a win. Uh, so credit to them both. Yeah. I think Suarez is definitely more 
deliberate and more uh what's the word i'm looking for here when it's like famous infamous there it is infamous mm. is the word yeah, I think it's down to percentages, right? Because Suarez in that moment is is saying, I'll take my chances with a penalty. And I used the term fair play when I was assessing this red card. That was kind of a turn of phrase because actually it's not fair play at all. I think, well, Rain are entitled to feel a little bit aggrieved. I agree with Taylor. Feels like maybe the consequence wasn't uh, didn't quite fit the crime. Unfair play. Yeah. That's what we're called in there. All right. Yeah. It's just, it, uh, Graham, it, that's the obvious difference right is that it's not a penalty and it shouldn't have been a penalty but it just feels like if 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 the ref had been like you know what that's a penalty i'm giving it to you I, there would have been a part of me that's like that's not the correct decision but i get it i get the understanding but e- yeah. either way uh it ends the way it does uh and i really enjoyed this final it also it, highlights like the arbitrary nature of football laws where it's like if this had been a couple yards further forward mm-hmm. that's a penalty but because it happens there not a penalty like silly when you think about it Soccer is silly, you're right, Graham. Um, On that note, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Premier League. We're going to go around the continent. We're going to do much, much, much more on this here weekend review back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let us go now to Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea had a casual 4-4 draw with uh, (laughs) Manchester City. Pretty thrilling game, pretty high-quality stuff in this one. Just the eight goals from Chelsea against Spurs and Man City in the past week. Nothing to worry about there. Uh, Cole Palmer, of course, and Raheem Sterling scoring against the club that sold them to Chelsea. This one, Graham, we were saying the Chelsea-Spurs game was possibly one of the most entertaining games we've seen in years. They've gone down it again. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was uh this was up there for entertainment value and Chelsea right now are good value for chaos matches, as you mentioned, Ryan. That Tottenham um Chelsea game a week ago was I think one of the most entertaining, certainly chaotic matches in the Premier League for a number of, of seasons. And uh, this was almost as chaotic. Eight goals in this game, I believe. I've got a statistic here. So this match had the highest expected goals of any Premier League match this season. It was 2.95 versus 2.88. Both teams creating chances. I um, I thought Chelsea were good value for at least a, a point in this game. Obviously, it's not all perfect. They concede four goals for start. Um, but this is this is very much a work in progress for Pochettino at Chelsea, and and it does feel like the, he's starting to put in some foundations. And I think the Premier League is is better for having certainly more entertaining for having him back in it. And it was impressive that Chelsea were able to respond so many times as against a, a team as good as City, because I don't feel that would have happened last season. And I can't really remember the last time that Chelsea played like this, or frankly, the last time Chelsea were this entertaining like they've obviously been good under Conte and Mourinho and certain manager uh, Ancelotti in the past won a, a, a title but Chelsea I have long associated with kind of conservative pragmatic football and Pochettino is a complete 
gear shift for them. And I think we're starting to see that come to the fore, even if they are not the, the finished product yet. Joe, what did you make of this one? The Poch versus uh, Pep game here. And Graham's right. It, it takes a certain kind of mentality to come back twice against this City side, doesn't it? Absolutely. I totally agree with Graham that I don't think we would have seen this at all from Chelsea last season or, or potentially even earlier on this season. It's going to take time for Chelsea. I know people probably get tired of me saying this for some of these teams that are, are trying to turn around their fates. We're seeing it with Tottenham right now. We're seeing it with Chelsea. Like it, the turnarounds happen, but it does take time. So Chelsea are not the finished product just yet. I, I thought this game, though, was wild. Like, it was absolutely wild. It's one of the better games I've seen in a long, long time. Basically, anytime you get eight combined goals and they're fairly even between two very good teams, it's going to be a great game. And this game absolutely was good. There are some big defensive errors on both sides here, right? So Guardiola on Chelsea's second goal is not good whatsoever. Ruben Diaz on Chelsea's fourth goal. Chelsea struggled to deal with Erling Holland, which is not necessarily something to be ashamed about. But that was a theme throughout this game. Bad defending is bad defending. But in this match, for me it's an indication of how good the attacks were, right? Teams are more likely to make defensive errors when they're being put into awkward, uncomfortable positions by really, really good attacking teams. And both of these fit into that category. I thought Palmer was very good in this game and we're seeing him look very comfortable in this Chelsea team. I thought Nicholas Jackson was also good in this game, not having the largest impact on things sort of between the boxes. 23 touches in this game, which is is fine from him coming off in the 90th minute. But his goal in the 67th minute of this game, it's Chelsea in possession. It's Conor Gallagher that just fires off a shot from distance. And Ederson saves, but the ball pops up for a rebound. And Nicholas Jackson follows it up, which is an elite trait for a center forward or for any attacking player to not give up on those moments and go and crash the box. It's those little things with the new players Chelsea have signed. Palmer obviously being one of those, Nicholas Jackson being another, going out there and actually putting together you know, nearly complete attacking performances. It's a massive step for Chelsea and a, a little bit of a disappointing result for Manchester City, but just an incredible game overall. Yeah, Cole Palmer is a, is a star. I've been so impressed with him since he's joined Chelsea and we were a little bit confused by that transfer and I don't think we were alone in that. And he seemed like a bit of a, a transfer market afterthought for, for Chelsea, but it's amazing how quickly he's become a really like pretty central part of Pochettino's plans um, for this team and the way that Chelsea were able to stop City from playing through the middle of the pitch was in no small part to how they were, they were able to tuck and we've seen this before with uh, Cole Palmer but they were tucking Palmer inside off the wing to create a four in the midfield that frequently gave Chelsea that, that man advantage but then in the attacking phase he's quick on the half turn he's in between the lines he's central he's helping to create overloads and another thing that I love about Cole Palmer and it's certainly was clear in this performance here was he's got a little bit of arrogance about mm-hmm. him. He hits the, the shrug celebration after scoring a, a stoppage time equaliser against his former team. He joins, I don't know if anyone saw this, um, but he, he tries to join the, like, the City tactical yeah. timeout <laughs> yeah. before Haaland pushes him away. He's, uh, he's scuffing up the penalty spot before Haaland takes the penalty. So for someone who looks a bit like Michael Serra or something, he's got that dog about him and his expected dog in this match was uh, was pretty high and I loved that. Yeah, I was really impressed by the penalty, not just because of the situation and when he takes it and how confidently he takes it, but also because he removes himself from the ridiculous scrum that follows a very obvious penalty decision. I'm not sure what city we're so aggrieved by, but uh, I feel like a I, a younger player can oftentimes kind of get pulled into that and I think can can wade in and, and want to be involved. And I feel like he did the smart thing and just took the ball and went and stood by the side and waited uh, until it was time to take the penalty. Uh, and when he's about to take it, maybe 30 seconds before, 
Uh, I think it's Diaz and Holland come over and and just are having little words with him. Like I think they're trying to do the playful, not playful thing of like, oh, you know, he wants you to go left, right? Like it would be my guess. And he just completely ignores them. They get pushed away. He takes it really calmly. And to me, it was a very veteran moment from a young player with a ton of pressure on him. Uh, very yeah. impressed by that penalty take and the game overall from uh, from Mr. Palmer. He almost scores one of the goals of the season as well with that with that oh, dribble, dribble through the, the when he just drives yeah. right through the center of the city defense and and it's a a one on one save from from Ederson but yeah that would have been an incredible moment. Graham, I think on this show I've I've said before like my old coach had the adage crap field crap conditions crap result and in certain ways this was a crap result for Man City. If this game had been played like on a sunny afternoon in fifty degree weather, fifty degree Fahrenheit, <laughs> I should say, uh, like. I have a feeling this game is not nearly as entertaining. That pitch seemed to tear apart readily when Holland does his little slide celebration and Thiago Silva as well. You can see just huge divots coming up behind them. I feel like the conditions help facilitate a a good chaotic sort of game. That's why they play through the winter in England. It's the biggest thing the Premier League has is, is, is got going for it is uh, rubbish conditions equals entertainment. We all know that. But it's it's so crazy, though, that the technical ability is so high. I would compare yes. this to the Rome Derby that was not good, but played in <clears throat> like in equally physical conditions, I would say. The, the, the technical ability of these players in those conditions made it so entertaining because then when you would have the, the strange moments when the ball popped up or somebody lost it when they had no business losing it, it just felt like even more of an outlier, but then the way other players would capitalize on that moment and show off some technical precision, it all just was, was crazy up and down and tumultuous, and I, I loved this game as well. I think one of the, the big reasons why we end up talking about Chelsea more in this result than Man City is because a lot of the attacking stuff we see from Man City feels rote at this point. It feels so familiar, and it doesn't feel super new. What I will say about Man City, even though the defending was not good enough in this game from, from Pep Guardiola's perspective... Some of the attacking stuff is still kind of new for this Manchester City team. We saw Manuel Akanji play the John Stones role in this game, and that's not totally foreign to him. He's played in a bunch of different spots for Manchester City. But Stones is out injured right now, and Akanji just slots in technically on the other side of the base of midfield. Stones is usually to the right of Rodri. In this game, Akanji was to the left side of Rodri in midfield. But he looked so comfortable in that role. He's so clean on the ball. He's so clean in possession. City didn't really miss a beat in the attack with Akanji in that midfield role, and then shifting him back into the middle of the back line defensively. And then one other player who we've given more praise to this year than we did at any point last year, but who deserves more of it, in my view, is Julian Alvarez, who's playing just straight up as like Kevin De Bruyne 2.0 in this game. Now, they interpret that role differently, but it's Bernardo Silva and Julian Alvarez who are playing as the dual number 10s in this game behind Erling Holland. And Alvarez has done that throughout this season. He's done a bunch of that. He did some of it last year as well. But this is a number nine who is truly comfortable basically anywhere across the front five, can drop deeper into midfield as well. He gets involved really well in one of Holland goals in this game. It's the second goal for Holland in the 47th minute. He's comfortable on the ball. He's a good presser from that midfield area. City found themselves a gem in Julian Alvarez, and they found themselves a gem that can actually play in the same team as Erling Holland. This season has proved that so far. I didn't know if that was going to be the case, but it absolutely is. With Kevin De Bruyne out injured, which has gone hugely under-discussed for Manchester City this year, they are still, without a doubt, even with some blips on the defensive side, the best team in the Premier League. Joe, can I ask about the Doku-Grealish situation as well? Obviously, Grealish coming on for the last half an hour for Doku here. A lot of talk about Doku being like an upgrade on Grealish. Obviously, he offers something a bit different. So why why does Grealish come on 
in the final half now. What did, what differences do they make to the team, respectively? Yeah, well, Grealish gives you more control than Doku does, right? Doku is is kind of this lightning in a bottle player where when he's on the left side, he loves to cut inside on that right foot. Lightning quick, still very, very young. Jack Grealish is somebody that's a little more comfortable with the ball at his feet. Now, we have seen Grealish's game evolve into a more well-rounded playmaker than he was in, in, in previous stops in his career, right? When he's at, shoot, was it Aston Villa? Why am I forgetting this all of a sudden? Yep. Yes, yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. Nobody, nobody wanted to help me out on that one. <laughs> when he's at Aston Villa, like he's a ball dominant playmaker. You can't really be one of those at Manchester City. So Grealish's game has changed, but he doesn't give you the same threat in behind. He doesn't give you the same ability to punish an opposing backline and target that space. It's it's a very, very different way of interpreting that wing role. So Pep now has the luxury in wide areas of oscillating through those players that can give him different looks in different moments. Yeah, and I do wonder if Guardiola regrets not starting Grealish in this match because having Doku as, as good as he has been this season, having him from the start on that left side, I thought did contribute to the sense of a basketball match, right. certainly in the first half, and it was a lot more open than Guardiola uh, usually likes. To be fair, even after Grealish comes on in this game, it is an open match, and one of the things I loved about this game was Pochettino losing his mind at the referee blowing the whistle when Chelsea were on a, an, an attack. Time was up. But that was all of us. I like audibly shouted at the TV, going, no, one more attack. I just want one more attack. He apologized after it, Pochettino, but he was all of us in that moment. So yeah, it was a bit of a basketball game. City got sucked in and in at times. And I think that's maybe the biggest mark of how well Chelsea played this game was that they were able to do that because we don't see that often with Man City. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, my last question on this game, a Chelsea back. So it's a really interesting question because Graham said, I think to start off his statements, uh, Poch started to put down some foundations. At the same time, I feel like we've been saying that about Chelsea for a little bit of time now. And maybe it's just that they're getting results against teams like Man City that feels like it's an elevated performance. It does still feel like there are kinks to be worked out and wrinkles to be ironed out. But at the same time, the way they are able to sort of go at Man City and not back down from things, but I think back themselves to make plays and even when they don't even when there are sloppy touches and miscontrols to back the system and the style of play and to keep going Raheem Sterling has a couple sloppy touches early but then I felt like really tightened up and and had an overall better game so it does feel like there is more belief at Chelsea and more confidence in the overall team the overall chemistry of that team so are they fully back I don't know but do they feel like a much better team than Chelsea iterations of the past couple seasons absolutely there we go. I'm, I'm picturing Bowley with the uh, mean glasses falling onto his face right now. There we go. It's all coming together. Loves do it we when think, the player comes together. Do we think he's brought beers into the locker room lately, or do we feel like that's been removed entirely? You don't, you don't get beers until you're inside the top Champions League spots. I yeah, think that's yeah, how it should work for Chelsea. Mistake. When you're 10th, you don't mistake, get beers. Of course. Okay. You don't get beers for one point, Taylor. Come on. Come on. Come on. All right. Uh, an excellent game there at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Arsenal with a 3-1 win over Burnley this weekend. A hard-fought victory this one was uh, Zinchenko with a nice flying kick oh, finish. Yeah. You don't see enough of those, do you, Graham, frankly? Yeah, that, that finish was so aesthetically pleasing. It's a big looper, and it, and it comes from a sort of like penalty box scramble as well. So you're not expecting a finish as, 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 as good, uh, kind of aesthetically pleasing as that. If you told me in that moment before he hits in that there's, there's going to be a goal here, I would have thought it'd be like a ricochet, like bounce around the box. But yeah, it's a, it's a very, very nice finish. And Zinchenko in general was good in this game and uh, provided a bit of a reminder of, of what he can do and what he can give Arsenal in the middle when he moves inside because... Arteta has kind of moved away from that tactic a bit this season, but he recycled it here against Burnley, who obviously looked to control games with the ball 
Again, they didn't really do that, uh, which is a common theme for them this season. But that was in large part down to how Arsenal were able to get Zinchenko into those areas and really put the foot on the throat in this match. Yeah, I'm not sure we can say Burnley really look to control games with the ball anymore, anymore at this point. But we <laughs> well, got they look few... to, they just don't do it. They try. Yeah, I, I suppose that's fair. We got a couple nice nuggets out of this game. So the first is J.J. Watt, who is a minority owner in Burnley last time I checked, tweeting out that Luca Coliosho, quote, is an absolute star in the making. And he absolutely is. And then all of his comments on this tweet are trying to get J.J. Watt to recruit Luca Coliosho to the U.S. men's national team. It also sounds like Greg Berhalter is doing a pretty fine job of that. But hey, if you need to pull in the big guns, literally in this case, go out and, and, and make that call, J.J. Watt. That's the first part. And, and Coliosho does play a really big role in Burnley's lone goal of this game. Driving down the left side, he kind of little brothers Tomiyasu in that moment. It's a really nice sequence from Coliosho. And then the thing on the Arsenal side that stood out for me, and it's the thing that really has stood out for the entire time that Gabriel Jesus has been injured, at least with this most recent injury, is how dangerous Leandro Trossard has been as the number nine. He scores a goal in this game. It is a true striker's goal at the back post. Like, he sacrifices himself at that back post, puts the ball in the back of the net. That's the opening goal for Arsenal. And then he plays in both corner kicks for Arsenal in their second two goals. He gets the actual assist for Saliba, and then he plays the ball in. That Zinchenko eventually finishes with that ridiculous finish that we've already discussed. Trossard has been very, very dangerous as that number nine. I think Mikel Arteta would go back to Gabriel Jesus in a heartbeat, but it's been something that Arsenal fans have been able to rely on in this period where it was not super clear who was going to pick up some of that goal-scoring burden. Yeah, uh, Fabio Vieira with a red card in this one as well. Uh, maybe a bit harsh, but a clumsy challenge from him. Not the Vieira we would most associate with red cards at Arsenal Football Club, of course. Uh, Wolves with a great 2-1 win over Tottenham. Great for them, I should say. Two injury time goals, uh, a comeback here. Tottenham's 10-game unbeaten start to the season ended with two defeats in a week, Taylor. And bad news for Tottenham as well with injuries to Madison and Van der Ven. Those two could be out until next year. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that in the opening minutes, the commentators talked about how this wasn't a particularly strong Spurs team, given the injuries, given the suspensions, but that Ange Postacoglu had talked to them about having belief and about staying the course and buying into the system. And all of that felt exactly how this was going right up until basically Pablo Sarabia comes onto the field. And then uh, two quick goals for him in about a 10-minute cameo, or excuse me, a goal and assist in 10 minutes. Not too bad. And I think Postacoglu at the end has to feel pretty frustrated by this one. Uh, Understandable in that they're missing so many players. But at the same time, this does feel like a moment in which if they get a 1-0 win, they kind of triumph over the adversity. They find new ways to play without some of those players being there. And that they end up conceding two goals, losing this game. And then those questions get even bigger about the squad makeup and depth. It, 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 It really could have been one way. And then it goes entirely the other way, I think, has to be... Frustrating is an understatement, but really just demoralizing, yeah. I think, if you're Ange Postacoglu. And it now seems that they've lost Yves Basuma to, to another injury. He comes off before the uh, before the end of this match. So that is, that's not what you want if you're Ange Postacoglu. Um, James Madison is the big loss yeah. for me. Mickey van de Ven is a great player, um, and Yves Basuma, Yves Basuma has obviously been key to that central midfield. But James Madison, I just don't think there's anyone else in this squad that can do what he does, even though Spurs equipped themselves relatively well in this game, and they did maybe as well as they could could have hoped and score that early goal, and were relatively comfortable until the closing exchanges. There was still a real lack of creativity through the midfield and into the attack from, from, from them, and that's, that's what Madison brings. And I know Hoy 
probably be a, can play in a little bit of more of an advanced position. He does can that for know? the national team for Denmark. He? But he's, well, yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a very different sort of midfielder. So yeah. I don't really know how Poscoglu solves that until Madison is back in the in the new year. It's a real blow. Agreed. First Madison, of all. Re, sorry, Joe. I was just going to say Madison had reached a level where people, it felt to me like defenders were standing off. Defenders were nervous to do anything to kind of dive in on him. And it felt like without him there, when it's Hoybjerg on the ball, they're a little bit more like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll go in for a challenge. I'm less worried about him beating me on the dribble. Yeah, Tottenham didn't really create a ton of chances in this game. They had a lot of the ball, but they, they were not as incisive in the attack as you would expect them to be when James Madison is in the team. And that's that's no surprise, right? That's not a hot take or anything along those lines. First of all, in this game, the finish on the first goal from Wolves, from Sarabia, yeah, we need to is talk about absolutely that. absurd. This is one of the best goals that I've ever seen with my two eyes. The ball comes in from the left wing for Wolves. It's a bending ball in swinger into the box. The first touch to cushion it. It's coming Unreal. in quick. Like, this is a whipped ball. It's not a big looper, as Graham said earlier. Can't believe we haven't come back to that already. <laughs> it is a whipped in ball towards the towards Sarabia in the box. He cushions it, picks it out of the air, cushions it with the top of his right foot. And then goes and hits it with his left foot. The ball is still in the air. It never touches the ground. It is a ridiculously good goal. It is one of the best I've seen in a long, long, long time, probably ever. That gets Wolves back level in this game. And then the second goal, you can tell from Lerma coming up out of midfield for Wolves, you can tell like he's gassed. He's played the entire game in midfield. He has to go. He sort of looks up and realizes, you know that feeling where you, where you realize in a game you have to make one more run? Like you have to kind of steal yourself, really take a breath, and then actually put your, your pedal to the metal? That's exactly what Lerma does. You can see it in his stride when he steals himself and says, okay, I'm going to make one more run. He arrives in the box. He slipped in. It's a great goal. The, the thing with Tottenham, and, and we can go back to these goals if you want, but the thing with Tottenham and why I've been talking about them is, is you know, not a real title contender this season even though they are miles better than I thought they would be when they're fully healthy, is because you don't go through an entire season fully healthy. Like every every big team in the Premier League right now is dealing with injuries. You look at Arsenal, they were without Odegaard over the weekend, they're without Gabriel Jesus, they lose Urien Timber. Manchester City are without Kevin De Bruyne, they're missing John Stones right now. Tottenham without Van de Ven and, and James Madison, most importantly, other players as well. Tottenham do not have the depth to compete for a title at this point in the Premier League season. Maybe their chances were there, slim, but still there if everybody did somehow magically remain healthy. It's just not the case. Like Tottenham are still a couple of transfer windows away and a little bit of time for Ange Postacoglu's methodology to continue to evolve and, and, and the players to continue to soak up that information. But they're still a little bit away. And I think these injuries, really this injury crisis for them, has kind of revealed that there is still progress that needs to be made in terms of the squad and the depth in the squad. Still a fun team, very good, better than I thought they'd be. Bummer of a result. They were probably the better team for most of this game, but there's still work to be done. Just leaving a moment's silence for Tottenham's Premier League title-winning campaign there. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's long. Uh, up to, <laughs> to Joe with a good uh, stat. Wolves win today was the... Uh, Wolves win today, that being on the game. Day of the game was the eighth time a team has won a Premier League game. They were losing going into the 90th minute. 50% of those matches have involved Tottenham. Elite mentality. Wonderful. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That, that, oh. Is, that is harsh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the Spursiness is still there. Well, you know you know those Opto accounts always do like the one word at the end, right? It's always like yeah. gravitas or like maestro or something stupid, right? I love in that one that they just use... They do two words and they use both of those words to just roast Tottenham. <laughs> oh, that's uh, great. 
There we go. Crystal Palace with a 3-2 defeat at home to Everton. A late goal from Madrissa Gay. Sealing that one for Deutsch Ball. Rides again. Mm, very nice. Sorry, just a bit. To, I was just going to say about Abdoulaye Decore. I think he is having a quietly excellent season um, at the moment. Yet another step forward for Everton. I'm not going to say any more about them because I know I've spoken a lot about them recently. But Decore is doing such a good job as like the driving force between the midfield and, and the attack. And Everton, they've, they've now won more games away from home this season than they did in the entirety of last season. So things are, are definitely uh, moving forward for them. Just a very quick beat on Crystal Palace. I know they end up losing this match, but having Eze and Michael Elise back from injury makes such a huge difference for them. I think without them, they're a bit predictable. It's mm. difficult to see where the goals are coming from. And we were talking about Spurs with their injury troubles. Um, Eze and Elise they're completely different to the other players that Palace have. So you put them into that team and they're almost an entirely different team. So Elise, he only comes off the bench in the second half, so he's still finding fitness. But that is a, a positive development for Palace and I expect we might see them um, achieve a bit more consistency and positive positivity after the international break. Uh, speaking of positivity, Man United with a 1-0 win over Luton. Victor Lindelof getting the much-needed win for Ooh. United there. That's four wins out of five Yay. in the Premier League for Man United. Uh, no no more Man United commentary. Taylor, we've had enough lately. Mm. Okay, move on. Yeah, okay. good. Very good. Uh, Bournemouth with a 2-0 win over Newcastle. Dominic Finish Solanke the ball, Michael, Michael Thrashford. That's what I have to say. Anyway, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Dominic Solanke scoring twice for Bournemouth. Uh, Kieran Trippier arguing with the travelling Newcastle fans. There's a clip on social of him running over to the travelling fans saying, are the lads not giving everything? How many injuries have we got? They got lots of injuries, but uh, lost this game. Shame. Well, yeah, it's funny that he didn't mention like the budget difference between Bournemouth <laughs> and Newcastle United, but you know. I guess that's that's fair enough. Inconvenient information at that point, I'd say, Graham. Uh, you'll see. Uh, Aston Villa with a 3-1 win over Fulham. Anthony Robinson with an own goal and an assist in this one. The rare combo. Very nice to see there. Uh, Brighton with a 1-1 draw with Sheffield United. Sheffield United coming back from behind in that one. And they're off the bottom of the league table. Hurrah! They've been supplanted at the bottom by Burnley. Liverpool. Yeah. Go on, Taylor. I just, I'm just laughing that, like, it's, I mean, you know, I feel like it's punching down at this point, but Burnley are going to like finish the Premier League season bottom with like six points total, and every article will still be about like how they're about to click into form. Just give them a little more time. Vincent Company's about to figure it out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah. things uh, drastically improve, or maybe things change entirely. But it is just wild how much the coverage continues to be sort of like, well, give them time. It seems like they're about to get there, and it's been that way for some time. But each week it feels like they find a new way to be promising while still not picking up points. And then watch them go get 100 points in the championship the following season. Hey. There we go. That's the way it's going to roll. Uh, Liverpool with a 3-0 win over Brentford. Uh, Mo Salah with a brace in this one. Liverpool maintaining, Graham, their 100% record in the league at Anfield. Yeah, and Liverpool have been quietly excellent so far this season. They're, I think, one point behind Manchester City going into this uh, international break. There's only, I believe, three points between Aston Villa in fifth and then Manchester City at the top. So I agree with what Joe was saying earlier. It very much feels like Manchester City are still the strongest team in this division. But, you know, a few more injuries to them or a couple more uh, slightly freak results and we could have a title race on our hands and I, I would expect Liverpool to be part of that title race if it does materialise in this match they were certainly the stronger team Brentford did pose a threat though at least in the first half and Liverpool were a bit slack for the first 20 minutes or so and Wissa had a good chance Brian and Buemo had a one-on-one -on -one opportunity but it, after a while Liverpool sort of came on to a game and Darwin Nunes 
and Salah are really building a, a strong partnership in, in, in the attack. Darwin Nunes, he's got nine assists this season, and all of them, all nine of them, have been for Mohamed Salah. And he was unfortunate, Nunes, not to not to score in this game. He had he had two goals disallowed, and, and the first one is incredibly marginal. That kind of feels like his calling card at this point. But as long as he can provide the supply line to Mohamed Salah, he's providing some worth to Liverpool in, 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 in that attack. And Klopp highlighted after the match how important he was with his pressing and how that helped stop Brentford play those trademark long balls out from the back and that work rate is, is a big part of, of, of Nunez's, Nunez's game so yeah I feel strongly that Liverpool are a much stronger team with, with him in the lineup, even if he does like sky one over the bar in almost every single match that he plays uh, I, I think if you compare him now to how he was 12 months ago there's been a, a big improvement in his all round game he's, he's one of my favourite players to watch at the moment the Chaos King and the Egyptian King make for a, a, a pretty good duo so many kings, so little time, Graham. Uh, a five-goal game, of course, we had at Crystal Palace in South East London. Also one in East London, West Ham with a 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest. Entertaining stuff, Graham. Yeah, and I watched this one live. This was this was one of the live games on, on Sunday and was really impressed with Forest um, until things completely collapsed for them. So the moment they seemed to have the edge in this match was the moment that it all fell apart. When Anthony Langa scores to put them 2-1 up, I thought they'd been the better team. They were giving West Ham problems, certainly in quick transition and on the, on the break. They'd been pretty solid at, at the back. But that lead lasted for just 123 seconds, which was pretty embarrassing for Anthony Alanga, who goes big with this celebration. The shirt is off, the GPS tracker is off. He doesn't put that back on, by the way. He just, he just gives up <laughs> trying to put that back on and just puts the shirt back on. By the time he's got the shirt back on, uh, West Ham have equalised and then they go on to, to win 3-2. So, uh, yeah, not a, not a great afternoon for Anthony Alanga, even though he scored a pretty good goal in this one. Indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go and check out the Derby della Capitale. We're going to go around the rest of the continent. Maybe, Joe, we'll even talk about those phoenixes and their rising nature. Yeah, let's do that. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let us go to the Stadio Olimpico for a brief moment. Taylor, where Lazio had a nil-nil draw against Roma, the highlight of which was the Tifos? And and when the final whistle went? Yeah. Uh, I felt like this was a really exciting game for the first 20 minutes or so. Like uh, it, it seemed like Roma were much more aggressive than Lazio expected, um, it, both in their pressing and in their physicality. So Lazio really struggled to play out, gave the ball away uh, very cheaply a few times in the opening 10 to 15 minutes. And then Lazio grew into the game, and it felt like they sort of avoided some of the physicality and and played some quick, uh, good technical football, moved the ball, found pockets of space, did really, really well. And then after about 20 minutes, it seemed like both teams were just like, you know what, let's just hit each other. That'll be fine. And And I think the referee did start to hand out some yellows to maybe calm things down. But things stayed physical. We had plenty more yellows in this game. And it was one that I, I went from really enjoying to just sort of knowing it was going to be nil-nil and physical for the rest of the game. But I was pot committed at that point, And so I stuck with it. And that is exactly how that game played out. Yeah, both teams having European competition in the week. Both teams having a very similar home record this season. Both teams having fairly similar head-to-head. Uh, I'd like to say I called a draw on this one because it did, Taylor. Very proud. Yeah, which in retrospect, I don't know why I thought this would be a more exciting game. I think it was because the war of words, or if that's what we want to call it, between Sarri and uh, Mourinho during mm. the week, and and there's already obviously bad blood and historical bad blood, and it, it it just felt like it could be ratcheted up, and we could get sort of an all timer because of the emotion there, and instead it felt like it was a Sarri team versus a Mourinho team with some physicality thrown in. Yes, indeed. And the physicality earning, as you mentioned, Taylor, eight yellow cards, one of which went to Sorry as well. Uh, as it's, it's weird that Roma not getting a red card on their bench in a game at the Olympico, but uh, yeah. here we go. That's the way the tried. cookie crumbled. They tried indeed. Uh, elsewhere in Serie A, Juventus with a 2-1 win over Cagliari. They went top briefly on Saturday. Juventus are unbeaten in the league since the end of September. We had Milan, Graham, squandering a two-goal lead at yeah. Lecce to finish 2-2. Their winless run in the league now extended to four games. Yeah, and Stefano Pioli, I think, is under real pressure. Some stories that Milan could consider his position during the interna- international break, which is funny because midway through this match at half time, everything looked good for Milan. They were 2 0 up, they were creating good opportunities. Lecce just kind of got hot in the second half. And yes, Milan contributed to their own downfall and their defending for the first goal in particular is just lacking in care. They, they allow the, the opposition player to kind of drift around the back. Nobody notices him and, and, and he scores. But to be honest, Lecce, more than, more than Milan being bad, and they were in the second half, Lecce were just so good. They were moving the ball so quickly. Their movement was incredible. And, and Milan couldn't cope. And Milan, in the end, were fortunate to get a point because Lecce scored an incredible stoppage time winner from about 35 yards out. So Piccoli... Uh, catches out Mike Magnon at the near post but then VR disallows it for a trod on the toe of a, a Milan defender which 
I'm just adding that goal to my growing case against VAR, just purely because it denied us one of the moments of the season, one of the goals of the season. Thankfully, elsewhere in Serie A, we had a, another yeah. goal of the season contender. Graham, can we talk about that for a moment? Because Joe earlier in this episode said uh, the Sarabia goal was, I believe, one of the greatest, uh, one of the best goals I've seen in a long, long time. And I would like Joe to now try to defend himself. Against it's better than this one. Goal. It's better than this yeah. one. The Sarabia goal is better than this goal. I think so. so to, I think so. To, right, to bring Joe, a listener in for uh, the rest of the show. <laughs> Inter had a 2-0 win over Frosinone, uh, reclaiming top spots, thanks in part to Federico De Marco's goal, which was uh, a lob from an angle you don't often see a lob taken from, Taylor. It was uh, uh, very, very nicely done indeed. Yeah, that's, that's putting it mildly. Uh, <laughs> credit to Graham for putting this one in the show notes. So I went and found it. I don't understand anything about this goal because it absolutely does not seem like a position where he would be shooting. Uh, and it starts with a really nice ball ver- vertically up the line from DeMarco, who then continues his run, uh, gets a return pass, and then hits it first time and never seems to look up, never really seems... He doesn't have that moment of like, oh, the keeper's off his line. I'll yeah. take a touch and hit it. He just sort of does it in one fluid motion and then chips the keeper who didn't even seem to be ridiculously far off his line. It just felt like maybe he <laughs> cheated too much to the near post and, and got beat. Everything about it doesn't make sense, yeah. but that's what makes it wonderful. So that that thing you're talking about there, Taylor, where you think of like the Beckham halfway goal exactly. or, or um, the Kane one that he scored the other week, it's almost like they'll slow down the game, they'll, set, they'll steady themselves, they'll put their arms out, and then it's like a big hoof to get the ball that far. Th- this one, DeMarco, it's, like, it's almost like it's part of his stride. He, and he just launches it 40 yards into the far corner yep. of the net. It's an incredible goal. It's one of the, it, it's surely going to be a Puskas contender because it's, it's, it's unbelievable the technique on it. And then has the audacity to sort of be cool about the celebration. Like, no, mm. you have to lose your mind at that point to, to just be like, yeah, no, like, I mean, he's obviously excited, but that, that goal, if I, if I scored that, I, like, I would sub myself off at that point. I just like, there's no <laughs> chance I'm doing better than this. Let's just call it a game. And, uh, yeah, I'll go celebrate in the locker room. Good call, good call. All right, it's yeah, as I say, going uh, back to top spot with that win. Uh, Napoli with a 1-0 yeah. home loss to Empoli, Grabe. Ruh-roh. Yeah, and Rudy Garcia, I think, is a goner at this point. If it hasn't happened by the time listeners listen to this, it'll be done over the next few days. The Italian media is reporting he will be sacked early in, in this international break. Of course, we did a big thing the last international break about Rudy Garcia's future. He survived that time. He won't this time. There's already a discussion about who will replace him. Igor Tudor is the front runner. He's the, the former Marseille manager and uh, used to play for the Croatia national team. He was impressive at Hellas Verona and he also achieved some success over two seasons at, at, at Marseille. Not someone that I would say I'm terribly familiar with, but I was reading up on his style and a lot of people saying his style is, is, is closer to Spalletti ball than, than Rudy Garcia's. So I guess that would be a positive change. The other name that's been mentioned is Walter Mazzari, mm. who is uh, a former Napoli manager, of course, uh, a bit of an elder statesman of, of Serie A and Italian uh, soccer I can't imagine that would be a very forward thinking appointment no. the only way that would maybe work out is if he's like an interim manager until they can get deserve at the end of the season or something like that but it does very much seem like it's going to be Igor Tudor Napoli being smart and fun was was fun while it lasted wasn't it that was that was a fun little stretch <laughs> it's done now <laughs> Yeah, give it another 30 years or so. They'll be back, Joe. Don't worry about that. Uh, we go now to La Liga, where Girona are still top, Graham, with a 2-1 win over Real Vallecano. Five wins in a row for them, two points ahead of Real Madrid. Uh, shall we, uh, I for one, welcome our new Girona overlords. How about you? 
Uh, see, the thing is, I'd be more enthused about the Girona fairy tale if it was actually a fairy tale and they weren't owned by City Football Group. They play a very entertaining style of football and um, while they are owned by City Football Group, they haven't spent anywhere near the, the amount that other teams, certainly Real Madrid and Barcelona, have spent. So they are overachieving. There is that underdog element um, to their success. I think they've got a pretty difficult run of games after the international break, so it'll be interested to see how things pan out for them into the winter. But yes, yeah, it's, it's a, a, certainly an interesting story and one to to keep an eye on. I think maybe at some point in the future we'll do a big thing episode about Girona because mm. it's certainly one of the, the stories of the season so far. That we should do, Graham. Uh, Real Madrid with a 5-1 win over Valencia, Vinicius and Rodrigo, both with braces. Yeah, the scoreline in the end I thought flattered Real Madrid because Valencia were very competitive in in, in the first half, um, but then they completely lost concentration at the start of the second half, and it was four 0 within about five minutes of the of the restart. Vinicius and and Rodrigo, as you as you kind of reference, Ryan, both brilliant in this match, although Valencia seemed to be giving them a lot of space. And that didn't work out at all. Uh, Vinicius, he's got three goals in his last two games. And it's kind of interesting that those goals have come in the two matches that Jude Bellingham has missed. He he was sidelined through injury again for this one. And I don't think that's anything tactical because the two of them play really well together. I think it's more of a mindset thing where Vinicius is sort of stepping up when it's really on him to be Real Madrid's main difference maker again, as he was last season and maybe the season before. So that's a positive sign for Real Madrid that not only are they getting by without Jude Bellingham, but they're actually playing well in racking up score lines like this terrifying stuff uh barcelona with a 2-1 win yeah. over alaves as well uh another unconvincing performance with a Lewandowski brace yeah so a much needed win for for barcelona before the international break but I, I don't think this will do much to ease the the building pressure on xavi um that was a big story in spanish football last week was him facing questions over his future this is his second full season people pointing out that maybe there hasn't been the progression um that he had kind of promised and they are still very much playing within themselves at, at the moment. And the most stark thing about them is how lacking in creative ideas they have been in these last few matches. You look at their their recent results, they rarely score more than, I don't think they've, they've scored more than two goals in like over a month, which for Barcelona and given the level of opposition they're playing against in, in La Liga sometimes is, is, is pretty remarkable. Lewandowski, he ended a, a six-game goalless run in this one. He scores twice, so that's a welcome development. Gundogan still played pretty well and he can certainly pick a pass, but it's all very uninspired from Barcelona right now. And the first the first Alava's goal was frankly a complete farce as far as Barcelona is concerned. So Xavi has started doing this weird thing where Barcelona will take centre and he'll send Ronald Araujo up front from kickoff. And I guess the idea is to like create a bit of chaos. They play a long ball into the box. They're hoping for a flick on from Ronald, Ronald Araujo. But in this match, that just resulted in Barca's defensive shape being completely fragmented in the first few minutes. And Alaves, I think they knew what they were doing. I think they knew that they could get at Barcelona with Araujo up the pitch and they score in that moment. So it feels like the international break has come at a good time for Barcelona just to, to reset things because their season, it feels like after the Clasico, is kind of falling through their fingers a little bit. All right, over to uh, the Bundesliga. Joe, Joe, have a guess at who scored for Bayern Munich. Who did some goals for Bayern Munich? Who do you think? Who do you think it was? Was it Harry Kane? Ryan, Yay! was it? Ding, ding, ding. A break for, for Harry me. Kane in Let's a 4 2 win over Hyde Nine. However, did you guess that, Joe? Uh, 17 Bundesliga goals in 11 games for the season now. Not bad, I suppose. Uh, surpassing the aforementioned Robert Lewandowski's record of 16 from 11 matches in 2019. Although. Graham, I'll say hat-tricks in the past two games uh, uh, and then a t- two goals here. That's a downturn in form for me. 
<laughs> yeah, he needs dropped for yeah. Chupin Morteng. Get him in. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, uh, Taylor, your favourite team by Leverkusen with a 4 0 win over Union Berlin. Uh, Brendan Harrison on for the half an hour for Union at the end of this one. Yeah. Uh, they're staying two points clear, our Leverkusen. But Alex Grimaldo with another great goal contender from this weekend. Sort of a, a scooped long shot from the outside of the box at an angle. Lovely stuff. I see what you're doing as well, Real Madrid. Uh, the the story's coming out that Xavi Alonso has in his contract a clause that if the Real Madrid uh, position becomes vacant, that he can leave for, I think, 15 million euros. I feel like that story leaking out is probably not doing wonders for team morale and chemistry. So maybe uh, Bayern will benefit, Xavi Alonso leaves, and now they can go back to comfortably winning the league. But for now, he is there. They are good. Union Berlin remain not good. Marvellous stuff. Joe Lowry, let's take a look at Major League Soccer, please. The conference semi-final brackets are nearly set. I believe, as we record, we have the crew taking on Atlanta uh, this very eve. Uh, we had a couple of games over the weekend. Yeah, that game was, was yesterday as well, so that's all done at the moment. But we had Seattle taking on FC Dallas 1-0. Seattle win that game on Friday evening. Dallas missing a ton of players, and we'll get into more of this on tomorrow's show with... Uh, myself and Taylor and Goss. But Seattle were the better team. Jao Paolo was awesome in this game, but I'll, I'll expand on that more tomorrow. Dallas finished out their season sort of with their tail between their legs, and that feels emblematic of the 2023 campaign that they had. The Houston Dynamo on Saturday take care of business against RSL. They didn't do it with ease. They won that game in penalty kicks. RSL, if they had come out on top and that shootout and, and Diego Luna maybe hadn't missed that penalty kick, they would have advanced off of solely penalty kick wins, which would have been the most Real Salt Lake thing of all the Real Salt Lake things that have ever thinged. But they did not win that game. It was the Houston Dynamo. They were the better team in regulation, just couldn't get over the, over the line. And they take care of business in penalties to advance to take on Sporting Kansas City at home. And then Columbus. They score four goals in pretty dramatic fashion. Atlanta scored two as well, which makes my VSP about that being the highest score in Eastern Conference Series feel pretty good. <laughs> the Columbus weren't incredible in this game, but their finishes absolutely were. Brad Guzan coming into the postseason was the worst goalkeeper, starting goalkeeper in the playoff field, and that showed in this game. Some balls that were very difficult to deal with, but also a couple that you maybe think a, a different goalkeeper might have done a bit better with. I don't think Atlanta could win MLS Cup with Guzan in goal, and I think they proved that correct last night. Uh, Joe, over the weekend, we also had Inter Miami playing NYCFC nope. for re- reasons. I was reasons. so confused when I saw that on the season pass schedule. <laughs> I thought it made me question everything that I thought I knew about the, the postseason and that somehow I'd missed both of them making it in. But no, it was a random Ballon d'Or. Graham, you didn't hear about the wild pitch. wild cards? That I can't believe yeah. that hadn't trickled over to Scotland in the news. I'm, o- I'm only going to explain what this was because you guys brought it up. Uh, MLS scheduled a game or into Miami, whatever, right? They scheduled a game because Messi won the Ballon d'Or and this was sort of a celebration of, of him doing that. Also, no coincidence that it's an opportunity for Messi to get some reps before going on international duty with Argentina. That certainly plays a part here as well. And NYCFC just kind of get roped in along the way to actually play in this game. But it didn't matter. And I didn't watch it. So there you have it, folks. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Noche Dor, they called it, Joe, for marketing reasons. Wonderful stuff. Uh, let's go to the USL Championship final, yes. shall we, Joe? Who done a win there? Finally, I waited 58 or however long it's been with including the ads for, for you, dear listener, to, to, talk about, <laughs> to talk about this. Phoenix Rising win the United Soccer League Championship final for the very first time in the club's history. They have risen, Graham, like a Phoenix Rising from the ashes. It was not a well-played game from Phoenix Rising at all. They were not good, and I said this on Patreon, for the first 75 minutes of this game, it was one of the worst performances I've seen from them in a long time. 
They go down off of a really nice goal from Charleston on the half volley. They come back, and John Stenberg, who was sick all week, hadn't really been in trading from what I understand, comes in and scores a banger of a header in close to the dying moments of the second half. Then you go to extra time. That was worthless for everybody involved. Neither team did much. Neither team scored a goal. We should just get rid of extra time. And then you go to penalty kicks. And Phoenix Rising's first penalty kick was a Penenka that Trey Muse saved without moving. The ball just lofted right into his hands. It's one of those moments where you think, okay, the payoff on the Penenka was high, but the embarrassment was even higher. And it was embarrassing. So Phoenix go down 1-0 in the penalty kick shootout. Then Muse saves the next penalty kick. Phoenix are down 2-0. Charleston scored both of their first two. Then Phoenix Rising come back, score their next three. Charleston either miss or have their next three shots saved. And Phoenix Rising win 3-2 in penalties. I've never seen, truly, I've never seen a penalty kick shootout go like that in my entire life. I had resigned myself to a Phoenix Rising loss. It seemed like that was absolutely going to happen. Felt that way in regulation. It certainly felt that way in the shootout. It was not to be. Phoenix Rising take down the top three seeds in the Western Conference and beat a good and fun and well-turned-around Charleston Battery team, one of the oldest and most storied clubs in the United States. They take down Charleston at Patriots Point, get the win. Pretty exciting. Joe, I watched this 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 match over the weekend. Um, talk to me what about Manuel Artis. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, Joe was Joe was posting about it on Threads, and I thought there's got to be a way for me to watch this, and it was I found it on YouTube. So I, 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 he's also the, the on Threads. It's just, it's just the casualness of like, oh, that Malaysian third division. Yeah, well, I caught a little bit of that one on Saturday. What are you talking about? Anyway, Joe, talk to me about Artiega, the number nine, because yeah. we were talking about Cole Palmer having that dog in him earlier in the game. Um, he very much seems to be of that classification, Artiega, who seems to like wins a penalty that then is overturned, but after winning the penalty, is shouting in the face of the player, of the defender who committed the the foul, and then in the shootout scores his penalty and does like a non-celebration in front of the Charleston Battery um, fans. So I enjoyed what I... He was entertaining, I'll say that. I think we've conflated two different players there, Graham, as far as I can recall. So I think Carlos Harvey was the one that earned the penalty kick that then was no longer rule the penalty kick. And he's, Carlos Harvey was on one last night. His composure was on empty. He was in everybody's face. And I thought for sure he was going to get sent off. Carlos Harvey, former LA Galaxy player, Panamanian international. He's, he's a solid USL championship player. One of the better midfielders in the league. Harvey was, was absolutely on a bender last night. I cannot believe he made it through the 90 minutes. And Arteaga, Venezuelan, you know, 29 years old, a very, very good striker, scored a bunch of goals in the, in the championship regular season, gets benched towards the end of the year, ends up coming off the bench. And he does have a couple of cheeky sort of dog in the dog moments as well. He's smiling at everybody in the most like sarcastic kind of way that would make you absolutely seethe all the yeah. time. Like there was at least two or three shots of that. He comes off the bench. I thought he had a nice impact to sort of finish out the game. Just, everything about this game was crazy. Phoenix Rising, I, I thought, had completely lost it because they were off the rails. The composure was not there. But I think manager Juan Guerra said it after the match. Like these guys do not know how to die. They don't know how to give up. They don't know how to quit. And I don't know if they deserve to win this game. But soccer's a cruel sport, and they got the job done anyway. It is indeed. Taylor, a quick update, if you will, from the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. The U.S. off to a winning start. Yes, sir. Uh, off to a winning start with a 3-1 to win over South Korea. Uh, and a brace from, I'm getting my notes ready, uh, Nymphasha Berchimax. My boy. Is. Uh, yeah, Berchimax, excuse me. Uh, yeah, he is your boy, Ryan. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. 15 years old, playing for uh, Charlotte. Had eight games in MLS Next Pro. One goal, only four starts. But comes in, gets the brace. He is the youngest player selected to represent the United States at the U-17 World Cup since... 
Interview. Uh huh. Uh, and he becomes the youngest goal scorer for the U.S. at the U17 World Cup since. Freddie Adu. That is correct again. <laughs> Two yes, points. Yes, yes, but I didn't know much about him, and I'm very excited to see a 15 year old coming in looking quite good. Uh, he's also, I think, he doesn't get any credit for the for the uh, goal that he doesn't score, but it's the it's his shot that's saved and then put home uh, on the rebound. So I would say uh, Berchimas is a player to be very excited about if you're a U.S. fan. Uh, and then uh, looking a little bit. Towards the senior team, Serginho Dest also had himself a moment this weekend with a no-look uh, assist to Malik Tillman. Malik Tillman scoring in that game, a 4-0 win for PSV over Pex Vole. Uh, but that goal, if you haven't seen it, is tremendous and silky and made me very excited about the U.S. men's national team winning the World Cup in 2026. Yeah, to go back to Berchimas for, for just you a second. You don't want to talk about the U.S. He, winning the World Cup in 2026? I'll leave that to you, Taylor. Um, okay. You'll do it with enough passion and vigor for the both of us. Mm-hmm. He is he is a really, really talented prospect. Maybe the, the top U-17 prospect in the entire U.S. pool right now. I would not be surprised if he gets minutes for Charlotte next season. He'll be 16 when the season starts. His birthday is in February. He'll play. He won't be a, a regular. He won't be a consistent contributor, but... He is viewed highly from some folks that I talk to, to the point where, you know, his name sort of comes up in the, you know, better prospects that the U.S. have produced ever kind of conversation. So definitely somebody yeah. to watch. It's interesting. When I was working for the team, um, and before you did the, there was, I, apparently I did. Huh. Yeah. Well, allegedly I did. Um, before they were first team players, I used to go down to the academy training uh, two or three times a week. And in fashion was, I think he was 13 and he was playing in the 14. So I think everyone played up a level and, and Charlotte, uh, they, so a year a year lower than the level they played in that, if that makes sense. But he was very young, but it was clear there was a lot of talk about him and how special he was as a talent and how they were watching him. So I'm really glad to see it coming to fruition on the biggest stage as well. Wonderful stuff there. Uh, also Bryce Jameson of Orange County FC. Shout out to him. I think he got on at the end of this game as well. All right. All right. Settle down. A uh, couple of... Uh, more uh, other business section moments. Sunderland with a 3-1 win over Birmingham uh, this weekend. Job Bellingham scoring against his hometown club, Birmingham City, of course, uh, the brother of Jude Bellingham. Job's parents, I assume, are big Arrested Development fans there. Uh, Wayne Rooney, <laughs> uh, Birmingham, man- Birmingham manager, has one point from a possible 15 so far. But Graham, we've got another Bellingham. Yeah, yeah. Bad, bad news for me as a Scot, if he's <laughs> as good as the other Bellingham. I read that Real Madrid are already looking at him. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Wonderful. Graham, would you like to finish us off with some Swedish stuff? Yes, indeed. So the real drama in European soccer this weekend was in Sweden, where we had a final day showdown between Malmo and Elfsborg for the, the Swedish title. So before kickoff, Elfsborg had a three-point lead over Malmo, but Malmo won this 1-0 and they finished uh, They finished top on, on, on goal difference and the celebrations were wild. They had a, an hour-long halftime interval because of like crowd crowd trouble and, and, and pyro. Um, so that was interesting and it was sensational to watch. This is the kind of final day drama that I think every league dreams of and the Swedish league, you know, I catch Malmo in European competition every so often. It's not a league that I watch very often, but I did watch this game live because there had been so much build up to it i'd read about it in the, the newsletter taylor yeah. i had to follow through so not very yeah, often only a couple of games a weekend right graham <laughs> yeah oh indeed uh would it's, you like to plug your newsletter while we're here graham at this point it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not i might as well while i've got the opportunity uh the soccer dispatch.substack.com i actually have a a special offer for tss listeners right now so if you could if you subscribe 
you get monthly access, full paid access for uh, just $1 a month for 12 months. So just go to um, the soccerdispatch.substack.com forward slash TSS and you can get all that good stuff. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Graham. We'll work out our commissions later for uh, letting you advertise your product there <laughs> on TSS. Uh, but for now, the weekend has been reviewed. Graham Rutherford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, pleasure to have you, my good man. Phoenix rising, Phoenix rising. Yeah, yeah, this is fun. Thanks, Ryan. That was quite a dark chat. It was, really yeah. Was. <laughs> it, it was going to build, but then I realized nobody wants to sit here and listen to me do it for the next 10 minutes, which is really when the zenith was going to be. So I just cut it short. All right. We'll keep that for the Patreon. Yeah, go to Patreon with, for, with the, the, for the 10 minute edit. Yeah, Thank you very much. The big, the big deck content and Phoenix Rising uh, chats on there. Oh, boy. Taylor Rockwell. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, my friend. And listener, thank you. The mostest of all lists will be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye. Bye. 